Many weeks will be done by the end of the year or so is our goal um, to finish up the series in the book of Romans. And so we are continuing on in the book of Romans and we've been hearing about what does it look like to worship God in response to all of his mercies? What does it look like to live a life of worship in relation to one another in the church, in relation to other people outside the church, and even in relation to enemies. And then this morning, Paul's going to continue that whole vein of what does it look like to live a life of worship in response to God's mercy with what does it look like to live in relation to the government. I know it's a really thrilling topic this morning, but it's relevant for us. And Paul knew that. God knows that. We need to hear that. So let's stand together and read God's word. If you're able to stand, stand with me. We do this to honor God's word, not to just to stand on ceremony. But we acknowledge that God's word is the only inerrant, infallible thing you'll hear this morning. And we give thanks to God for that. So let's read God's word from Romans 13, verses 1 through 7 together. This is God's word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word speaks to all of our lives in each and every area of our lives. Your word is relevant for us. That God, you inform every area of how we live, Lord, that in light of your mercies, that you've saved us, that you've rescued us, that you've made us alive in you, that you've given us your grace and hope. And in light of that, Lord, you call us to live a life of worship. And God, thank you that you even give us really practical passages like this that speak to where we live day in and day out and the mundane aspects of life of how can we worship you in all that we do, not just in relationship in the church and outside the church and to enemies, Lord, but even relating to the government. God, I pray that we would apply this to our hearts and minds. We wouldn't check out and think that that's a a boring topic for us, but we would hear this as a way to worship you in response to your grace and mercy. God, would you give grace to each and every person here right now to hear your word? God, would you enliven our hearts and minds? Would you give us the gift of your spirit to everyone who's here, Lord? And would you give your your spirit to me as I preach to enable me and empower me to speak your words? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, when most of us think of the government, what comes to mind? Anybody, what comes to mind when you think of the government? Something negative, taxes, maybe death and taxes is gonna go together. 
You know, when most of us think about the government, we don't naturally want to submit. I mean, who here recently thinks, hey, the government, I want to submit to the government. Anybody, anybody here think that naturally? Not one person. I even, I even at one time worked directly for the government, and I wasn't like, whoa, I just can't wait to submit to the government this morning. How about you? How, how is your attitude towards, Paul uses a, a unique phrase here. He says, governing authority. How is your attitude towards authority? Scripture addresses that. What's your attitude towards the authority over you? What about to the existing current authority over us? What's our attitude like? Ooh, it's getting a little personal, right? Students, do you long to submit to the teachers who are in authority over you? The governing authorities in your school? Do you, do you, do you go to school thinking, I, I, God, I'm going to do this out of worship? Well, I, I bet there's some who do, but I know it's not my natural tendency. When I was in school, I was not thinking, oh, Lord, how can I submit to the governing authorities in my school out of worship to you? I was thinking how I could, <clears throat> I'm not endorsing this. I was thinking of how I could ditch school and get away with it. I know that's wrong. I'm not endorsing that. That was not a respect of authority. It just shows where most of our hearts, where at least my heart naturally goes. Employees, do you love to submit to those in authority over you? Do you love to submit to the people in authority over you? Do you think, this is how I worship God, by submitting to those in authority over me? Do you, are you naturally drawn that way? I'm not. You know, I've had, before I was in pastoral ministry, I had lots of difficult bosses. I had more difficult bosses than good bosses. I don't know about you. What do we do? Fellow citizens, and no matter what, what country you are a citizen of, there are citizens of several different countries here in this room this morning, and no matter what country you're a citizen of, do you think of your country and the authority that God has given to your country and to the leaders of the land, the president here, the senate, the congress, the local government, do you think, hey, I'm worshiping God by participating in my civil duties. Do you naturally think that way? I'm, I don't think many of us do. You know, who here loves paying taxes? Anybody, anybody just really longing for the end of the year when you get to begin thinking of your taxes? How about this? And this is really kind of crazy. Do you think of your taxes as paying God's ministers? That's what Paul says in this passage. That's crazy, isn't it? No, nobody loves paying taxes. I don't, I don't naturally like the idea of paying taxes, and I don't think of it as worship to God. When, I'm, when I am going on my TurboTax, I'm not thinking, oh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to worship you. I'm, I'm just not thinking that way. You know, some are dissatisfied, and some, rightly so, in some ways, with the current government. Some are dissatisfied with the status quo. Some are dissatisfied with what they see in government. Maybe that's you. I don't assume it is. Some distrust the government and distrust authorities. Everybody's heard the phrase, you know, trust me, I'm from the government. And that does not engender trust. You know, the first thing we hear when we hear that, don't trust me, I'm from the government, is, uh, sure. Kind of roll your eyes, you chuckle a little bit, you take a step back from that person, maybe, at least in your heart. You know, maybe you think government is corrupt, and maybe the government is corrupt. Maybe you think the government in general or leaders are corrupt. Or maybe you believe leaders, current leaders, are not worthy of your respect and honor because they are immoral or unethical. How should we relate to those in authority over us? What are we to do if, if our leaders are not worthy of following because they're immoral and ungodly? What do we do when we disagree? What do we do when 
They do dumb things or say dumb things. How do we respond to them? These, these really aren't abstract ideas, are they? I mean, these are ideas that touch every aspect of our lives. They touch every aspect of our daily life. Um, government in some way, you relate to government in some way any given week. But how we relate to government, what do we do in relationship to them? How do we do that in response to God? How should we think about authorities over it? Is it okay to have a, an adversarial or even a hostile mindset towards the government? Is it okay that we're suspicious of the government? Is that okay? Are we biblically allowed to do that? What does that look like? You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a man who opposed his government. He started off as a pacifist, but then he became overwhelmed with the Nazi party when they began to take over the German church. 1933, Hitler imposed elections on the church and got several thousand people as pastors who were members of the Nazi party to kind of overtake the church in Nazi Germany. What was the proper way for Dietrich Bonhoeffer to relate to authority? How should he have responded? What would you do? How would you respond if this government was overtaken and didn't allow freedom of speech or freedom of religion? Is it okay to resist authority? Is it okay to rebel against authority? You know, in 33, Bonhoeffer was one of the first vocal pastors to advocate for resistance against the German, Nazi German government at the time. And he said, the church must not only bandage the victims under the wheel, but jam the spoke in the wheel itself. Is that an appropriate response? We have to think about those things as believers. He helped draft a confession that, that actually made a statement of faith opposing the Nazis and affirming the Jews. The church ended up holding a synod in Wittenberg. And why that's important is Wittenberg is, is the place where Martin Luther, he nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg in that chapel. And in that very same town, they had a convocation that declared that no Jews could be a member of government. No Jews could be a member of governing the church or be a pastor or have any role in the church. So he led with other pastors this emergency league and for a time he left Germany. He felt like, no, it was wrong. I should, have, should not have left my country. I need to go back and actually fight for them. He ended up joining the German military intelligence but not to support them because he was intentionally wanting to subvert them. Is that okay? Can Christians do that? Are we allowed to Resist the government like that, even deceitfully resist like that. Is, that. is that okay? Is that permissible? What kind of attitude should we have? He ended up actually becoming a part of an assassination plot against Hitler. And they tried to assassinate Hitler. They, they, let a, they attached a bomb underneath of a table just across from where Hitler was. And they thought he was going to be sitting on one side of the table. He sat on the other side of the table. The bomb went off and he was minimally injured Bonhoeffer was arrested and he was hanged two weeks before the U.S. allies actually freed all the other people from the concentration camp. He died for rebellion, sedition, assassination, at least an attempt. Was Bonhoeffer right? Is it okay? We should wrestle with those things. There shouldn't be easy answers. You know, the reason why it took so long for people to resist Nazi Germany was not because they didn't think it was wrong, but because they thought, we need to be careful to make sure that we're resisting a God-given authority, even bad authorities. We need to make sure that we are resisting for godly good reasons. Now, I believe Bonhoeffer was. 
but we have to wrestle with those things. You know, there's an independent streak in most of us Americans that immediately says, yes, it's okay to rebel, right? We're kind of raised as rebels. We're, you know, our, our country was founded on rebellion. And you have to, if you're, if you've ever gone back and studied history, you have to ask, was it really right of the U.S. to actually, of the United States, of, before the United States, of, of the colonists to rebel against England? You have to wrestle with those things. Say, okay, how should we relate to government? How should we relate to authority? You know, our country is built on rebellion. The present form of our government is only here today because of a massive rebellion that resulted in a war between the states. And it's only in the last 150 years, really, that our government has had relative peace. How does the gospel inform how we live? Does the gospel inform how you live? Does the gospel inform, does God's mercy inform how you relate to government? Does it inform how you speak of the government and those in governing authorities over you? Does it, speak, does it inform how you speak of authorities over you no matter what's, where you're at? Authorities at work, authorities at school, authorities in the church, authorities outside the church. Wherever authority might exist, governing authorities are all established by God is what the scripture says. How do we relate to them and do we relate to all the governing authorities rightly as worship to God? It's not an easy question, is it? I know for me it's a convicting question. How do we relate as citizens of heaven and how do we relate to the governing authorities here on earth? But thankfully, the gospel actually speaks to this. In the passage that we read earlier, it really directly speaks to this issue. And really, there's this main idea that goes all throughout the passage. And it's really simple. It's this. It's that Christ followers, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus, if you have submitted your life to him, you are a Christ follower. So Christ followers worship God by... It's not the only way we worship God. Paul's talked about that in, in all the passage of Romans 12. He's been talking about worshiping God. But Christ followers, in this passage, Christ followers worship God by submitting to authority. I know that kind of bristle at that. I bristle at that. I personally, I bristle at that. I don't, I don't love authority. None of us thinks, I love authority over me. I love being told what to do. I love someone else actually having authority in my life. That's just not naturally where I'm at. How about you? Where are you naturally? Do you love authority? Do you see that I worship God by submitting to authority? Because that's what this passage says. It's difficult. It's challenging. You might say, well, hang on. Well, Paul certainly could not have understood our modern 21st century government. He could certainly not have understood the corruption, um, the deceit, the hubris. The, he he could not, certainly could not have understood all of those things that were going on and manipulation and propaganda. He could, he, certainly Paul was naive. But let's not forget the context, right? Context is everything. You know, these, this, this passage, all of Romans, was not written to be about justification by faith alone, although it applies to that. That's not what Romans was about. It was written to a church in a specific context, and their context was not a good one. You, you remember how Jesus died? How he was convicted? You know what government convicted Jesus? It, it wasn't just the Jewish government, the Roman government, the government that Paul is writing about to the, the seat of government. And Paul was not naive. He knew that Jesus was unjustly tried, unjustly crucified, unjustly hung on the cross and died. Let's not also forget that Paul, he experienced mistreatment at the hands of many local governments all throughout the Roman Empire. Wherever he went from city to city to city to city, he was actually abused at many times by 
authorities over him. He was mistreated. He didn't experience good things at the hands of the government. Now, he did appeal to Rome, and, and that was actually, he was, a, he was trying to use the government for good, and that's actually, we'll get to that later. He appealed to Rome so that he could preach the gospel. But let's not think that Paul was naive. The context is important. It wasn't just important then. It's, it's important to understand and apply God's word now. You see, it was precisely in the midst of a very corrupt, overreaching, domineering, invasive, unethical, immoral government that Paul wrote these verses. Let me say it again. It was, it was in the middle of an immoral, corrupt, invasive, overreaching, authoritarian, domineering, usurping government that Paul wrote these verses. And that's That's sobering. Because these verses are pretty hard. And Paul's been writing about how we live a life of worship in response to God's mercy. What should drive everything that we do? It should be an awareness of God's mercy and grace to us that he's made us alive. And out of, out of response of worship, we live all of our lives as a sacrifice of worship, not just to one another in the church. And that can be difficult at times, but that's relatively easy in comparison to living life that way with outsiders. And then he talks about loving your enemies. And now he talks about actually worshiping God by submitting Actually subjecting ourselves, subjugating ourselves, putting ourselves under governing authorities. When Paul wrote the letter, he knew the tendency for some would be to think this command doesn't apply to them. And maybe you think this morning this command doesn't apply to you. When, look, look, in, look in verse 1. It says, let every person be what? Be subject to the governing authorities. Let every that, that word for person is actually the word for soul. Let every soul be subject. Every person, if you are alive, if you have a soul, there is no getting out of this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He knew there's a tendency to th- for all of us to think, but that doesn't apply to me. You know, there's, there's those back then who disliked the very form of government they were living under and those who disliked the form of government you live under now. You know, back then it'd be understandable because the Roman emperor, he... He relegated the Senate to largely a ceremonial position. Remember who has been in power for a few years now is actually the Emperor Nero. Before this, it was Claudius who expelled all the Christians from Rome. The Christians in Rome had no love for the emperor. They had, a lot of them, most of them had actually lost their homes, lost their jobs, lost their businesses, and they just now come back to Rome and were reclaiming their lives and trying to recover from being kicked out and having everything taken from them. Now they're back in the church in Rome unstable because now Nero, what a great guy, is in power. You think our presidency, current, past, whatever you think of presidencies in the last 50 years, you think it's bad? Well, I, I would submit the Roman emperors to you, and particularly Nero. And that's the context this is written in. There were those who disliked the government because they disagreed with the politi- politics, with practices, with the li- real-life decisions of government. You might disagree with policies and practices and the li- real-life decisions of government. And I would understand that if you did. Many in the church had been displaced. And you know, Nero, he was not only corrupt and tyrannical, he had, by this time he had just finished killing his brother, having his brother Britannicus or his half-brother poisoned because he wanted to make sure he wasn't a threat to his throne. 
A few years after this, probably a year or two after Paul wrote this, he would kill his own mother. Somewhere around the time of Paul writing this, he would, Nero would kill his own mom because he saw her as a threat. He was a fickle, emotional leader who was immoral. He, 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 they saw his, all his policies of self-serving. He, he bolstered his own reputation at the expense of the people. You ever known a politician to do that? To be in power and it seems to be all about himself? Seems to be a big ego trip. You know, you ever want a politician to stop talking? It, it, I'm guessing they wanted Nero to just stop. And yet Paul wrote, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Wow. I mean, think about that. Knowing the Christians in Rome, they weren't under an ideal government. They, they, they would likely and justly disagree. And Paul wasn't saying don't disagree. Don't pray for them. Don't appeal. He knew they would disagree with the Roman government, but he wanted to make sure that everybody in the church understood, regardless of what political party they were in, regardless of whether they're Jew or Greek, freedman or slave, and by the way, the church was made up of all of those people of substance, people who were in poverty, all of those, no matter who you are, whether the government is against you or whether you think the government is for you, whether you benefit from the government and you're wealthy or whether the government keeps you down and you are poor and there were those kinds of people in that church and that speaks to us today. He says, let every person be subject. That's challenging, isn't it? You think, well, wait a minute, the government hasn't always supported everybody. That's true. Doesn't make it right or good, but what's our response to be? You know, some today might not like our current government. Some might believe the leaders are corrupt, immoral, and unethical. You know, maybe you're here today and you disagree with the ruling party or you don't like the leaders in place. You know, we're not a church that takes political sides. We, we never want to be about politics, but we do want to be about how do we worship God in response. And we don't want to either abdicate responsibility and not, not get involved at all, and we don't want to be against the government either. Those are two wrong responses you can have as a Christian. But we want to be faithful disciples of Jesus. We want to respond to God and worship by submitting to the governing authorities. And there's not an exception clause here. He says, let every soul. You know, there's not a clause that says, okay, you know, don't subject yourself if it's a particular form of government. Remember, this was not a, a democratic republic that he was speaking to. They had a senate, but they were basically dismissed an emperor. All, all power was invested in the emperor. Paul's not saying, based on the system of government you have, then you should be subject to it. And by the way, oh, only democracy. By the way, when democracy comes along a couple thousand or 1,500 years later, when, when, when a democratic republic is formed, this thing called the United States, then you can submit to authority. But if you don't like it, you don't have to submit then. He doesn't give us that kind of leeway. And he says, he doesn't, he doesn't say only if the leaders are morally upright either. He doesn't say, hey, don't worry about doing this with Nero, by the way, because he's morally bankrupt, so don't be subject to him. He doesn't give us that kind of out. But he lays out three grounds for why we should submit to governing authorities. And the first reason or the first grounds for why we submit to the governing authorities is it's really, it's meant to inform how we relate to any authority over us, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what position. And by the way, God has instituted all authority is instituted by God. So anytime you have a position of authority over you, you have to remember it's instituted by God. And really that's the point that, that Paul wants us to see is because God, here's the, the grounds, the big why in verses one and two, he says, because God 
has instituted or God has appointed all authorities because God has appointed all authorities. Every authority, think about that for a minute. Every authority in your life is appointed by God. Now that's not saying every authority is good or every authority is perfect or right. But it is saying we need to relate to authority knowing that God's appointed them. And so let's worship God when we relate to them and how we relate to them. And that goes from parents and children. It goes in, in a marriage relationship. It goes in, in not in a home, in a church, in a school, in, in a workplace, in every area of life. All authorities, God's appointed. And that's not a new idea. Back in, in Daniel 2, verse 20 and 21, Daniel said, he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. God's the one, and if God puts all kings in authorities, then from the greater to the lesser, then certainly every other minor authority is under God's authority too. And so Paul says, all authorities are, have been instituted by God. You know, in in Psalm, uh, Asaph wrote, he says, it's God who executes judgment, putting down one, lifting up another. In in John 19.10, we read of, of Pontius Pilate, and Jesus won't answer him, and he won't defend himself. And so Pilate says, don't you know that I've got authority over you, and I've got authority whether to put you to death or not? Yeah, how did Jesus answer him? Well, look in John 19. He says, you would have, in verse 11, you would have no authority. Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And then in, in the verse one of, of our passage, Paul is saying here, he says, there's no, there's no authority. So every authority in our lives, there's no authority except from God. But it doesn't mean that every authority is godly, but it does mean that God has created this world order actually in reflection of himself. You know, even in the Trinity, um, God is, is perfectly equal as one. He is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is co-equal, and yet there is different roles within the Trinity, and it's from that Trinitarian nature of God that we even see a, a, a mutual submission, but we see a submission of the Son to the Father. We see an authority, although completely co-equal in every way. We see a willing submission to God as Father, and we see that on, on earth when Jesus says, Nevertheless, Father, not my will but yours be done. And so authority is a reflection of God's nature and character. We are to be people who live under authority. All of us, no matter what position we're in. And he says, All authority comes from God. And that's the first reason we worship God in relating to governing authorities because we have to remember one minute, God has given this authority over me. And think for a moment about what authority you might disagree with in your life or you might have trouble with or you might have difficulty with whether whatever governing authority that is and think, okay, wait a minute, this is an authority instituted by God. Let me worship God in this relationship. Doesn't mean we believe authority is good and godly. In, in cases throughout history, some authority has been downright, blatantly evil. Not just Hitler, but even worse than Hitler in the past, the Syrians. They were horrific. And yet, in Isaiah 10.5, there's something that's almost scandalous to our ears today to hear. Is In Isaiah 10.5, God speaks to his people through Isaiah. And he says, the Assyrians are my rods of anger. 
And it's an image of the Assyrians being wielded by God as a rod to discipline his people. As brutal and evil as the Assyrians were. Now this should give us both pause and also should give us confidence that, wait a minute, we can trust ultimately God. That ultimately our hopes in God is that we can pray to God for authority. And Paul says the reason we should be subject, not because they're good, but because all authority is in place by God and they serve at his will. And you know what that should, that should lead to? It should lead to a humble attitude. How is your attitude towards authority? How's your attitude towards governing authorities? How's your attitude towards the government? To put it even more plainly. We should have a humble attitude when we have a complaint or critique about those in authority. It should give us confidence that God's able to put the right people in the places of authority. It should enable us to trust God in the midst of even when there's corrupt authorities over us. Now, I'm not dismayed by the current political atmosphere. And the reason I'm not is not because I'm naive or blind or don't see problems with our, our current system and, and the people in office. I, there are problems we need to acknowledge, we need to address, but I'm not worried because I can trust that, that God is the one who places all people in authority. He's able to raise up new authorities. And ultimately, I can trust that he's the one who puts kings down and raises kings up. But I'm sobered because God has a divine purpose working through everyone in authority. You know what that should do? That should make us stop before we gossip. You ever, you ever been tempted to gossip about the government or gossip about a, govern, a governing authority in your life, wherever that might be, in your home, maybe, kids, or at school, or in the church, or somewhere else? You ever been tempted to gossip or slander? This should give us pause and sober us. If every governing authority has been instituted by God, let's, let's make sure we worship God by not allowing those things to enter our life. Doesn't mean we agree with, doesn't mean we have to take a part in to play in government. I, I hope men and women here would, would actually hear this message and respond and say, you know what, I actually need to participate in government. I, I've, I've withdrawn from government. I've withdrawn from politics. I've withdrawn from voting or whatever those things are that is a, a responsibility as a citizen. And I, you know what, I, I need to participate because God actually wants things to happen. And God's given these authorities for my good. You know, government's the means that that Paul sought and at times received protection to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He used the government. He was engaged in the government. You know, for t- far too long, Christians have, have gotten their relationship wrong in a couple ways. They've, they've either said, you know what, because we are part of God's kingdom, then we're not going to participate in this earthly government at all. And that's actually not what God says. He doesn't say withdrawal. He says, do it worshiping him. And then we can also participate the other way and think that somehow salvation comes through the government. And we can act like, you know, our savior is our president. And that's unbiblical as well. And so we can think that that salvation rests in one of those two things. God says, no, because you have salvation, I want you to get engaged and involved in the world around you and in government. You see, the gospel is the goal. The kingdom of God is the goal. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Let's keep that in mind even as we subject ourselves to government and participate in government. That our goal is actually so that we might proclaim the gospel. That we might preach the good news. Let's get involved. Let's, let's fight for the protection of the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion. Let's, let's advocate for those things. Let's, let's advocate for a democratic republic that, that protects the good Let's not withdraw. Let's not check out. 
God uses authorities to bring about good is what it says. So let's work with and through authorities to bring about good. What about resisting the government? We disagree. Let's look, look, look down at verse two. Look at verse two, please. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities, wow, look at the next phrase. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Man, I, I, I don't know, but that's a really uncomfortable statement for me. You know, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. Does that mean we are never to resist? I don't don't believe so, but it means that should give us great caution when we resist that our motives are to worship God and that we are seeking to bring about the good that God has and that we've exhausted all other opportunities, and that we've made appeals, and we've used every means possible to seek the good of those around us. We better make sure there's godly motives that are driving resistance. You know, think about that. In the Bible, there were people who resisted. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they resisted, right? Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he commanded that they bow down and worship him. And they said, no, we should worship no other God except for God. And they resisted the government. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. It was so hot that it killed people just throwing them in there. But yet God endorsed their resistance by preserving their lives. So God is not against all resistance, but he's against Self-centered resistance. Our resistance actually should be out of worship to him as theirs was. And later on, Daniel, um, he, he was an, an elderly ruler by that time, very powerful under the reign of Darius, two kings later. And the people were jealous of him, so they made a decree that no one could pray to anybody except to Darius. And Daniel said, no, I can't do that. And so I'm going to throw the windows open and show that I must resist. It was a passive resistance in one sense. It was a peaceful resistance. But he threw the, the curtains open. And he prayed publicly to show that he could not obey that. He could not endorse that as a ruler. And what happened to him? He was thrown into the lion's den. And what did God do? God said that, yes, he endorsed that godly, God-honoring, God-worshipping resistance by preserving Daniel's life. He gave his seal of approval. Egyptian midwives refused to kill the Hebrew males when they were born, and Moses was one of those babies. It goes on. You know, there's Peter and John, when the Sanhedrin, the ruling power there, their rightful rulers in Israel said, stop preaching the gospel. You must stop speaking in this name. And Peter and John says, no, we, we must, in Acts 5.29, it says, we must obey God rather than men. You see, their obedience to God was what drove any resistance. But we must be careful that we're truly obeying God when we resist and not our cause or our desires or our preferences or our good, but we're seeking to obey God. So be careful in our resistance that we're resisting what God's appointed and we don't want to resist wrongly to incur judgment of the authorities. In our era, Martin Luther King Jr., he resisted. He, he resisted in protest and unjust ruling. I got a picture of him for you, I think. They wouldn't allow him to march in Birmingham for the right to vote. He didn't take civil disobedience lightly, though. He thought deeply about civil disobedience. He said, you know, that you expressed, to quote him, he says, you express a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. This is certainly a legitimate concern. He knew it was legitimate to be concerned about the willingness to break laws. He resisted, though, 
And he says there's some instances when a law is just on its face and unjust in its application. For instance, I was arrested Friday on a charge of parading without a permit. Now, there's nothing wrong with an ordinance which requires a permit for a parade, but when the ordinance is used to preserve segregation and denies citizens the First Amendment privilege of peaceful assembly and peaceful protest, then it becomes unjust. Was he right? I think so. I think he was seeking to worship God and protect lives, protect the good that God had. But he, I think, did it the right way in that he was doing it peacefully. He was actually submitting to authorities by going to jail, by peacefully allowing himself to be arrested, by not abusing those in authority over him. There was a way that he resisted that still submitted to authority. What do you do when you believe there's an unjust law? We need to be certain we're resisting out of godly motives to make sure we're not resisting God. And the second reason that Paul gives that we have to submit to governing authorities is because governing authorities approve what is good and punish what is evil. The authority is meant to approve what is good and punish what's evil. If you want good, submit to authority. If you want evil to be punished, we're to submit to authority. Now, government doesn't always get that right. Sometimes we get it dramatically wrong. Sometimes evil is not punished as it should be, and good is not approved as it should be, and then we should become proactive in government because the purpose of government is to approve what's good and to punish what's evil. And we should then submit because of that. You see that in verses 3 and 4. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. The reason why God set up rulers at all is it's better to have rulers than anarchy. All rulers are meant to uphold morally good conduct in society to be terror to bad. He says, look in the other half of verse 3. He says, would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good and you'll receive his approval. Now, now part of that is because Paul was motivated by the gospel because he wanted the people in Rome to be approved by authority so that they would have freedom to preach the gospel. If you want to, the freedom to preach the gospel, do what is right in the law as much as possible so that you might have freedom to preach the good news. So you, want, so you can be approved. Do what's honorable, morally good. We should be the best, most obedient citizens on the planet. The only rebellion we should be a part of is rebelling against being a rebel and saying, I, I want to I worship God in all of life. I'm going to rebel by submitting. I'm going to rebel by worshiping God. You know, we should be a model of good, upright, honorable behavior in our community. We want the approval of government. We want the approval of God. You know, it, it can be silly. There can be different laws of the land that we don't like. You know, maybe an example might be, I don't know, a trail that's closed. If you're going hiking, blocking a waterfall, saying not to climb the rocks, we need to do the good of obeying it. It might be ridiculous, might think it's unnecessary, it doesn't apply to us. You know, I'm tempted most days when we're out as a family because I like to go outside and be a part of nature. Um, a couple weeks ago, we were walking downtown and I am tired of the Swamp Rabbit Trail between downtown and the zoo being closed. Um, that's my struggle with government personally is how slow they are. But so I want to go on the path and, you know, I, I take off Monday. I don't take off the weekend. And they allow that portion of the path to be open on Saturday and Sunday. And it's open to the public. They close it during the week because so people can work there. But at night, after hours, there's nobody working there. And so at like five o'clock, we get to that sign. And I am tempted. I want to go past that sign. 
It doesn't apply to me. They should understand. They're not really working. It's the, you know, it's the spirit of the law that matters. You know, we want to do that. At least I want to do that. I want to walk on that path. Because there's something in my heart that doesn't want to obey, but yet I want to honor God. And so we turned around. Just in case you're wondering what the outcome of that was. I, I, did. <laughs> I turned around. I know it's silly. But I, I wanted to obey God and worship God by obeying the authorities even when the sign is wrong and silly. And that's got implications for us we need to wrestle with. You know, let me ask you, um, if you don't want to fear a speeding ticket, what should we do? I don't like that. Now, I would say, I could advocate that maybe the government approves of going up to 10 miles an hour over. <laughs> but let's be cautious when we do that, right? Let's be cautious when we, when we let ourselves out of things. You know, some like me might say that, you know, well, the government approves of that, so I'm just going to do what the government approves, not what they really write. You have to be sure in your own conscience that you're trying to love God and worship God when you do those things, though. Do what your conscience allows, but the principle applies to everybody. If the law prohibits an action, we need to obey because the authority behind the law is given by God. And every time we hear a law or hear an authority, we have to think, God has put this authority there in my life. I'm, I'm going to be, I need to worship God right now in how I respond. How do you respond to authority? How will you seek to worship God in response? Well, the third reason we see, the third grounds, the reason why we are called to worship God by submitting to authorities, we see in verses really four through seven is because authorities are God's ministers. It's the final reason that Paul gives, and it really takes up the, the, the bulk of the passage here is because authorities are God's ministers. Now, you might think that's a strange word, and it is, because that's the same word that's used to talk about ministers in the church. You. I'm, I am a pastor. I'm called to equip the saints, you, to the work of what? Ministry as ministers. And he says government is, the authority is God's minister, or the word there is the same word as deacon. It's kind of a surprising word. Came across that, I'm like, What? So, wait a minute. So, authority is God's minister. So, when I think of God ministering to people, do I think of the government? Well, certainly not. But I should. God actually ministers through the government. And that's a shocking thing for us. We think, how could that be? God intends for his ministry to be carried out through the government. Look in verse 3 and 4. It says, rulers are not tear to good conduct, but to bad. What does that mean? There will be ministers of good to terrorize what's bad. That's, that's, that's as blatant as it is. There will be ministers who terrorize what's bad and who stand up for what's right. That's the purpose. Now, government doesn't always do that. But we should applaud government where it stands up for what's good and punishes what is wrong. He says, would you have no fear? Oh, sorry. I'm going to keep going there. It says, in verse 4, it says, for he is God's servant for your good. He's God's minister for your good. Now, we don't endorse bad authority. And there are times when we need to worship God and not submit to some authorities. When those authorities are disobeying God. And when in good conscience can say, God, I need to worship you because other parts of your word speak to this relationship in my life. But the ideal is for our good. And so wherever we can, where it is for our good, we must support and seek the good. 
And that's why we should pray for those in authority over us. Do you pray for the president when he says something ridiculous? Do you pray for your senators and your congressmen? Do you pray for those in authority in your home, kids, in the church, in school, in our local government? We're to pray for those authorities, not that God would strike them down, but that that God, they might be used by God to uphold what's good and to condemn what is wrong. God's got bigger purposes than our pet priorities and our preferences. And Paul, he, he, he told them in Timothy, he says, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people. He says, for kings and all who are in high positions that, they may, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing to say to God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why is it good for us to support the government, to be subject to the government because the government's therefore are good to punish evil, but also so that we can live quiet and dignified and godly lives that are good and pleasing to God, so that what? So that people might come to know Jesus through that, through how we live. As we live godly, quiet, dignified, peaceful lives, we're going to be an example to those around us And they're going to want to say, how in the world can you be peaceful in the midst of all the crud that's going on around us and in the midst of those in governance over us? How can you do that? And then we have an opportunity so that all might be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It's wrong for us to take the law into our own hands. We wouldn't be able to live in peace. And we should fear It's wrong to protest an injustice. That's what the scripture says. It's wrong to protest an injustice by doing an injustice. It's wrong to resist the government with force. Now there are times. What about the American Revolution? Oh no. You have to think through those things carefully. But if you are protesting against an injustice... It's wrong to commit acts of vandalism and violence in the name of justice. That's not submission. But submission might mean resisting the government peacefully, protesting through whatever means possible. And I pray that God spares us from ever having such a government that we might have to overthrow it again. But let us not come to government that way in our minds. Authorities for our good are meant to uphold good and bear the sword against evil. Look, look down in, in, in the verse, a lot higher from verse 4. It says, but if you do wrong, be afraid. If you do wrong, be afraid. He's speaking to the church. If you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. Now, the sword was the instrument of death. It was the Roman machaira. It was a Roman short sword that was meant to hack and to cut people's heads off. It was a violent image. He says the government bears the sword. It means at least that the government has the right doesn't say the government must, but the government has the right to take life if you do wrong. Why? Where's that right come from? Look in the next part of the verse. It says, for he's the servant. Again, here's that word again. The servant, the minister, the deacon of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. Now, that's a little surprising. So wait a minute. So when government does what is right and punishing what is wrong... Government is actually an instrument of God's wrath here on earth, here and now. And if we don't want to be afraid of incurring wrath, let us obey, is what he's saying here, so that we don't receive God's wrath 
through human instruments. The government carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, remember, in, in a couple of verses earlier, in Romans 12, in the latter half of Romans 12, he says, never avenge yourself, he says, but leave it to the wrath of God. Now he explains that the wrath of God is not just in the forever after, but that wrath of God is here and now. We can trust that God will use government to bring wrath. And then he says, look in verse 5, he says, therefore we must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So that we don't sear our own conscience, so that we don't harden our hearts towards God. So we don't disobey God. Whenever we break the law, it should make the alarm bells of our conscience go off. Conversely, if we continue to do that, our conscience will be seared and it will not be a, a reliable guide for us. And Paul's going to talk about conscience later. But we, for the sake of our conscience, that is a reliable guide, we, we must submit in whatever way possible to the government and obey the laws of the land. Look at verse 6 and 7. Paul gives some really difficult, some unpopular application. I don't like the application that Paul gives us here. There's a lot of applications, but Paul gives some really specific applications that are really unpleasant. Look in verse 6 and 7. He says, For the same reason, because government is God's minister or servant, because government's God's minister, he says, For the same reason you pay taxes. Why? Because you're paying taxes to God's minister. So we, we give to the church. We, we give to God's kingdom and we give to the kingdoms of this earth as they are ministers of God. That's what he's saying. Same reason you pay taxes for the authorities and ministers of God. Attending to this very thing. Attending, the authorities are attending to ministry, so pay taxes. Ooh, that doesn't, that doesn't sit right. That doesn't feel good. The motivation for paying taxes, it flows from remembering that we're obeying God. That they're doing ministry. Lord, I want my taxes to go to good things. Would you use these taxes to carry out your ministry? That's really the prayer we should have as we pay taxes. You know, Paul's not making that idea up. Remember, remember what the, the, when they challenged Jesus and they said, Hey, Jesus, you know, this corrupt Roman government that's over us that actually says the emperor is to be worshipped and they have his image on a coin and we're not supposed to worship any graven image. Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says... Whose image is on that? And they say Caesar's. And he says, okay, render to Caesar what Caesar's and to God what's God. Ultimately, worship God, but render to men what is their due. Pay taxes. Don't avoid them. Now, our worship and our ultimate loyalty and obedience belongs to God, but we're rendering to Caesar where it doesn't cause us to disobey God directly, we should pay taxes. And Paul clarifies things further. He says, don't just pay the annual income tax. There's just two kinds of taxes he mentions. He mentions like an annual income tax. And then he, he mentions a, a poll tax as well, which is levied on them separate from the annual income tax. And then he talks about the indirect taxes. All, all in this passage, use three different kind of words for taxes. So that really relates to us. We have the annual income tax. We've got a lot of indirect taxes. And then we have other taxes on top of that. So whatever taxes you are levied, he says, pay them. And there's a principle there. He says, pay to all. Look in verse 7, pay to all what's owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. And by the way, don't think that somehow it is godly and that you are resisting an evil government by not paying taxes. You're somehow honoring God. That is not a way to honor God. To lie on your income tax, to hide things. You're dishonoring to God. He says, pay to taxes whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect 
to whom respect is owed. Now I, now I don't like this verse even more. Honor to whom honor is owed. Boy, that, that speaks to our heart of worship. It's not just the laws. It's not just taxes and cruddy things like that that we have to obey. It's, we do all those out of respect. And they're owed respect, not because they're good. Nero was not a good man. In one respect, you could say he did not earn respect and respect was not owed to him. But Paul is not saying, he said, respect is owed because it's God who appoints. Respect is owed because God's put the authorities there for good. Respect is owed because authorities are God's ministers. So show respect to authority. Honor, give honor to whom honor is owed. You know, I want you to notice one last thing about this passage. This whole passage is really all about God. It's all about worshiping God. Authority is from God. That's what he says. Again, a little later on, he says authority is instituted from God. This, look, look down the, in the passage for me, if you will. Look at the times it refers to God. He says authority is from God. And then he says authority is instituted by God. If we resist authority, we resist God. So now it's three times God is talking about. He says we saw that government authority is God's servant. And he says that multiple times. Authorities carry out God's wrath. And again, um, we avoid God's wrath that they carry out. In verse 6, authorities are God's ministers. God's mission is the motivation seven times in these verses. He's the reason we submit to authority. He's the reason we're to be subject. Because we love God. Because of his mercies. And so this whole chapter is just the reasonable, logical, reasonable, spiritual outworking. What it looks like to live as worship to God in view of his mercies. How are you living in response to authority? What does your life look like in, in the way you present your body as a living sacrifice to God, including mundane, common, everyday things about the way you talk about those in authority, the way you relate to them, the way you work with them, not against them, the way you pay taxes and submit? Why? Not because we earn favor before God, but because God has showed us mercy. And you know what? Jesus submitted himself to earthly authority to the utmost, even authority that was ungodly, even when he was wrongly, falsely accused, and he would be crucified for it. He did not open his mouth to set us free from from being enslaved to living for ourselves, to enable us to actually submit to authority. Jesus submitted to the utmost. So that now he says, because I've submitted to the utmost, I've earned the favor that you could never earn before God because I've done what you could never do. Now you can willfully, willingly submit to authority over you because you're submitting to God ultimately. And ultimately God will make all things right. If not here and now in the final day, God will make all things right. We can trust his authority. You know, some people wonder, well, what about bad, evil authorities here on this earth? Um, how in the world can that be appointed by God? And you have to remember it's in the context that God will make all things right and no one gets away with evil. No one. No evil authority will get away. We entrust them to God's authority. And we trust ourselves to God's authority because Christ followers worship God by submitting to authority. Amen. Well, let's have the band go up and we'll, we'll sing together and we'll close. Father.